There's a lot of strategy that goes in negotiating that goes into how we position, when we position ourselves and what we're going after. But at the end of the day, it's about winning it. And then it's about making sure it's the best that's ever happened. And if that happens, then we feel confident that we will be positioned in that next bid cycle to win it back. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. It's time to get excited about today's guest because I'm really fired up about this conversation. What we have in store for you today is a student athlete who became a successful coach and then changed careers completely into event marketing and is now helping to manage all the logistics and process and bidding and negotiation for Super Bowls, World Series, Stanley Cup Finals, Frozen Fours, and other massive events in the Tampa Bay area. That's the journey of today's guest. And there's something truly in here for everyone. Claire Lessinger was a five-year student athlete playing volleyball at the University of Florida, winning five straight SEC titles, making three Final Four appearances, and even having an award named after her that lives on to this day. But she also dealt with injuries and recoveries and the overall complexities of managing the life of a student athlete. Then she got into coaching, head volleyball coach, University of South Florida for eight years. We've got the leadership, the teamwork, the development side of it all. Then career change, out of coaching, into event marketing at the Tampa Bay Sports Commission. We've got sales and event manager, director of events, VP of events. We're covering the business side, negotiations, bidding for events, developing a renewal mindset. This interview has it all because Claire Lessinger has done it all. And here we go into this conversation with my friend, Claire Lessinger, VP of Events for the Tampa Bay Sports Commission. Hi, Claire. Good morning. How are you today? So thankful to have you on this show. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're bright and early on on Tuesday morning. It's 9 a.m. and we're both pretty rear and go. I've got my coffee in me, so we're ready to dive into this. I feel like we have a ton of things to discuss about the amazing things you've been a part of as a leader in the sports industry, but we we literally have to start here. Over 600 episodes of this show, 300 different guests, all kinds of people on the show. You were the first person to ever have an award named after them, the Claire Roach <laughs> Defensive Award, which was your maiden name, presented annually to the best defensive player on the University of Florida volleyball team. That's pretty cool. Uh, clearly, you were a standout student athlete. What What are you when you look back at that part of your life? One of what are some of your fondest memories? Some of your favorite memories of that time? Sure, I, I mean, I literally say all the time, and I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of student athletes. Um, you know, during my coaching career, is it truly was the best time of my life. It was those were formative years in so many ways. Um, but when I, if I have to pick one thing, it's the relationships. I think when you have the opportunity to play a sport that you love at the highest level and compete for championships, but do it with people that are like-minded and, and share that same level of drive, competitiveness, passion, perseverance, you know, all those words. I mean, I was surrounded by such great players, great people, great coaches, Um, And those relationships have lasted a lifetime. So although there was lots of blood, sweat, tears, there was lots of laughs, there was lots of wins, 
Um, you know, it's the relationships that that came from that experience uh, that I will cherish forever. Um, many of them were bridesmaids. I'm oh, still a great friends with Mary. You know, it's just a time in my life that I cherish. I get to go back. Um, I take my sons up to Gainesville. So it was an amazing time. Um, and quite honestly, that award, although I cherish it, um, really what I cherish most about it is it had more to do with the challenges that I overcame because I had a lot of injuries. I tore both my ACLs and I came oh. back both times. Um, and so although I was not an All-American or a statistical leader in any category, I think that award lives on um, for for character and passion and perseverance and things that, you know, that inner athlete in me, I bring out every day um, in the job that that I get to do today. So I love um, that. that's, what, that's what I love most about, about that award. Yeah. All those attributes you just mentioned are exactly like the linchpins to success in our industry on the career side too, which I think is so important. I always wonder this about successful student athletes. And I, I mean, I was an athlete, but not at that level. And I look back at those times and I'm like, I wish I was more present in the moment and enjoyed it more when I was there. I, I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. And yet when I was doing it, I was like, so focused on the competition and the next match or whatever it would be that I don't know if I truly enjoyed it. Do you feel the same way? I think there's absolutely a level of that. Um, you know, when I reflect back, I think probably what I took for most granted were the resources. Yes. Very fortunate to play at the University of Florida where the resources were unlimited. And, you know, once you escape that environment and you don't have at every turn a nutritionist, a strength and conditioning coach, you know, a trainer. Um, like, this is flights. a normal life. I don't get this <laughs> yeah, forever. Right. Like, oh my gosh, how am I going to survive without all these resources? <laughs> right. But they really, you know, they really did give you everything um, that you needed to be successful. And so then, you know, I think a lot of those resources did um, not only provide a ton of support, but also um, did groom us, you know, for yeah. when those resources weren't available, you know, we were able to navigate and survive on our own. And, um, you know, I, I I definitely didn't appreciate that till I didn't have them. Uh, yeah. so, so absolutely. Being a student athlete is a tough mix. It's something we talk about a lot. You've got lots of pressure to perform, to train, to travel, to compete. But then you're also trying to balance being a good student, getting good grades, setting yourself up for career success, gaining experience. All of those things can be difficult to manage. How did you balance that? Because I think one thing you said in that last answer was really important is that that opportunity that exists, it's also access, right? You have access to athletic directors and other people in the athletic department. But overarchingly, how did you balance that mix of, of competing goals? Yeah, I think, you know, similar to my last response, it really, the resources had a lot to do with that. We were very, you know, when you're a student athlete, um, there's a very regimented structure, routine, and schedule. And so there's not a lot of opportunity to veer off path. Yeah. Um, and so I think when challenges did occur, whether it was an academic challenge or an injury and an athletic challenge, um, we had the tutors, we had the strength and conditioning coaches, we had the trainers there to really support us and help us navigate um, those times. And then to be surrounded again by these amazing teammates and this amazing staff that, you know, really was an extension of family. Um, so I think, you know, when you are, again, not on an island, um, you're in an environment that is close knit and provides the support services that you need. It makes that whole experience much easier than you would think. But I do think it's not for everyone. You have to be wired. You have to want this. You have to dream of this yeah. um, to play to, to play at the next level and to be committed and dedicated to what that 
um, requires is is definitely not for everyone. Um, but for me, it was everything um, and everything I dreamed of. So I spent a lot. Of, I was actually laughing to myself last night as I was creating this next question. But uh, <laughs> NIL, we both know, has changed the game a lot, right? And and we're going to get into your coaching career, and we'll talk about that. And we've talked a little bit about your student athlete career, but NIL is all the rage. It's what we're talking about so much. It's affected the landscape of college athletics so much. And there's tons of stories and research that comes out of it. And it's, and it's, it just churn, a lot of churning things happening. Right. But let's, let's take it a little less seriously. If, (laughs) if you could go back to your student athlete days and like had any dream NIL partnership, I was thinking about last night. I think mine would be hot pockets because I like <laughs> ate those so much in college. Um, what would be your like dream? I would want to partner with this business, and it would have been awesome. Oh my gosh, it's funny that you you went to food um, because oh I, yeah, every time I would say Taco Bell, but that would not send yes. the best nutritional message to this next generation, and <laughs> my coach would not be proud of that. But you hit the nail on the head. What a wild, wild west the NIL space is right now. Um, I continue to read a lot about it and, and try to educate myself. I definitely. I, I feel for the coaches out there navigating the NIL yes. as well as the transfer portal. It's a whole nother um, dynamic um, and and levels of stressors that I can only imagine. But quite honestly, I think the people that are doing it the best and the student athletes that are doing it the best are, you know, really looking at it from a philanthropic um, cause standpoint. You know, if I if I were to have that opportunity today as a student athlete, I think it's really important to make sure you're attaching and tethering yourself to a brand that one means something to you or is doing good in the world um, and that there's some sort of give back and cause and philanthropic tie to it. I, I hate seeing the kids that are doing things just for money that, that doesn't really connect or make sense. Um, so I think there's a lot of education, a lot of resources that are being provided to student athletes that are trying to help them navigate that. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece for them to focus on. Yeah, I think the NIL uh, scenario has been so interesting. Like, I think we all had a lot of theories going into it on how it will affect. But then when it's actually in practice and you're watching it and the unintended consequences or some of the deals that have been made and you're like, never saw that coming. Or some of the way smaller programs have been built up because of somebody that's a really big influencer on their team. There's there's so many positive and negatives that come out of it. But I think it's it's an interesting subject. So let's talk about your coaching uh, years for a little bit. As a player, okay, helping the Gators win five straight SEC titles and make three Final Four appearances. That's impressive. Let's celebrate <laughs> that for a second. Uh, you went right into coaching at the University of South Florida. When in that process, like in your college days, did you figure out, I think I want to go into coaching? And what was that strategy to kind of get there? Because it's not a one-to-one line of great players become great coaches. It's like, there's a different skill set and attributes that come out from being a coach. When did you kind of figure that out and what became your strategy there? Well, I majored in exercise science with a minor in sport management. So I knew I wanted to work in sports. And I think, you know, it was early on in my collegiate career um, and maybe even high school. You know, I remember saying this, like I dreamed of either being a PE um, instructor um, or a coach or working in athletic administration. So I, I kind of had that dream of of staying down that path. But I will say what was really pivotal, instrumental um, and inspiring, and I joke, but I'm, this is true. Like one of the best classes I went to every day was from three to six, and that was practice. Um, and to have the opportunity to, you know, learn from 
and listen to Mary Wise, the winningest female coach of all time still to this day, wow. you know, was was something that inspired me. I think, you know, by the time I graduated, I was a fifth year senior because I had redshirted and overcome some injuries. I looked up to her. Uh, she was a mom. She was a wife. She was a, a female in this industry doing amazing things. Um, and, you know, she had created an environment for young females, you know, that inspired us to go into the profession. And she has, I don't even know, it was too many to count uh, yeah. former players that went on into coaching and are still coaching. So that's a testament to the impact that she had on us. That's amazing. So after 13 years at University of South Florida, it's a grind. It's a 24-7, <laughs> 365 job. You left and joined the Tampa Bay Sports Commission as a sales and events manager. That's a pretty massive career shift. That's a <laughs> that's a big difference going from coaches coaching to events and and sales. How did you translate your skills? How did you because this is one of the things we deal with a lot. We have a lot of people in our audience who are trying to shift careers. Maybe they started out as an accountant and they're like, I don't love this. I want to work in the sports industry. And they're trying to figure out how to kind of map what they know to where they want to go. And it sounds like that's something you went through was to figure out where are these overlapping skills that I can use? Yeah, I mean, I love that question. I get it a lot, as you can imagine, from a lot of former coaches, you know, that yeah, are- that, Yeah, I want to know. Out. Unlock this for us. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, I think it's just the same as, you know, professional athletes. It's like they, you don't know anything else and you don't really know um, what you're capable of doing outside of, you know, the the lane that you've, you've stayed in your whole life. So- there's a couple factors for me, and I will say it was a huge leap. There was a huge learning curve. But when I look back, it's not as daunting now as it seemed at the time um, because of exactly what you said, this transferable skill set that I didn't necessarily realize was as transferable as it was. Yeah. Um, and, and just a few examples of that, like we're a small team, you know, there's seven of us. I mean, this is the ultimate team environment. We have, you know, my teammates and players on this team all have incredible skill sets, bring something um, enormous to the party. Our mantra is game day every day here. It's literally our tagline on our business card. So nothing resonates more as a former student athlete and former coach um, than living out that mantra every day. We are selling Tampa. We are recruiting events here. So we take that recruiting skill set um, and the selling of Tampa that I was doing with student athletes and just shifted into a different space. There was a lot that was transferable there. Um, student athlete experience, you know, so when we host these major events, the ultimate goal is elevating the student athlete fan visitor experience, which was what we were doing for our own student athletes, as well as the fans that were in the stands. So shifting that, you know, the way that we marketed for events on campus to how we market events in our community, there was a lot that was transferable there. And then quite honestly, it's about impact. So as a coach, um, you know, more than anything, um, it's about making sure you leave this lasting impact on these kids um, and these young women uh, that you have the opportunity to mentor. And I feel, you know, this is the same thing we're doing in the industry of major events is when they come to our community, it's about the lasting impact that they have and the legacy that they leave. And so how we invest in those events um, is is really important. We do it with a ton of passion. And so there was a lot to acclimate to um, when, when shifting over. And I will say this also, this leap in my life had a lot to do with who I knew, not what I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to those listeners out there, your mentors and sponsors are going to be your biggest assets. And I had the opportunity to work with Rob Higgins, the, the executive director here at the Sports Commission at USF. But then we also worked together on the local organizing committee when we hosted the volleyball championship. So I had the opportunity 
I knew him well. He knew me well. He saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. So those those opportunities may get extended to you, which seem very foreign. But take the leap if if you if you have interest and it seems exciting and it seems like a new chapter and phase and journey in your life. Go for it. I think that's brilliant that you touched on the networking side of it too. I mean, as a coach, you've got a bigger brand. You're exposed to a lot of different people at in a in a wider geographic area. But if you're not building those relationships, they're not going to come back to benefit you. So that that effort that you put into networking and and being a good person that people want to be around opens doors. Like it's sometimes that simple. Being hardworking, having people know they can rely on you, having a good attitude and a positive vibe. I mean, that 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 can sometimes open doors up right there. Absolutely. I mean, all those things you just said are hands down. I mean, some of the advice I give on the daily when given the opportunity is yeah. it's it's there's not always a secret sauce like you know be humble be hardworking yeah. um, be personable uh, be likable um, uh, have integrity all of these things I mean you you want to have these intangibles that people want to work with and of course you need to have a skill set and you need to be able to deliver and you need to be able to raise the bar and add value to the organization but some of these key ingredients aren't that hard and 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 quite honestly be genuine right like there's nothing to me that's more unappealing than people that that aren't genuine love that endorsed 100% um so <laughs> when you shifted this role and that can be daunting right you're going into a new world it can be a little bit challenging what were those kind of aha moments for you where you realized okay this translates well in my skill set but I'm maybe not as strong here like were there certain gaps you identified and places you need to work at in the in the more business world or what was that like for you oh yeah absolutely I would say probably like business acumen in general um, was was my biggest hurdle um and so what I did, I mean, I would say it took a good six months to really feel like I could walk the walk and talk the talk and represent our organization at a very high level outside of a, you know, elevator speech and saying what we did and who we were. But being an active listener, you know, when when you're new to a new profession or a new organization is raise your hand and say, I want to be in the room. I just want to listen. I want to learn um, and take advantage of that opportunity at every turn. Don't allow yourself to be pigeonholed um, into to one task-driven area. And I think that's what the other thing that's very unique about the dynamic of our organization is we are, we are lean and mean. Um, and so we have to fill in for each other a lot, which means our skill set continues to grow over time. Nothing's boring. Um, you know, we're constantly being challenged uh, to step Step up and step in. And so I think that's really important, though, um, for anyone in a new role is don't just do what you signed up to do. Try to learn the whole organization and learn from others. Yeah, that's great advice. Be a sponge. Super important. So I think event management is incredibly fascinating and multi-layered. There's a lot of tactical and strategic and negotiating and everything. There's so much that's involved in that process. Since you joined the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, the attention your city has received has been massive. I mean, there's been Super Bowls, World Series, Stanley Cups, Supercross, flag football championships. I mean, you guys have it all. Your calendar of events is nuts. I was looking through it yesterday, and I'm like, you got everything. <laughs> and then the local teams have been successful, too, so you have big things happening in your area. So massive opportunity. You're the vice president of events. Take us through the main focus of your role, how that breaks down, and where you're kind of focused on a day-to-day. -day. And I know every day is different, but just give us kind of the overarching a little bit. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
my day-to-day role in operations um, really are focused on the major events. So when you look at our resume, which you rattled off some, we are constantly bidding on um, and then hosting the major events, the ones that give us significant national exposure. Um, And once we win those events, um, meaning the bid, then I help execute everything that we promise. So bringing those promises to life, Um, and serving as a lead liaison between the event organizer, whether that be the NCAA, the NFL, and then our host community. Um, So there's lots of dots to connect there to ensure that, you know, we deliver on those promises uh, that we made. So with that comes everything from public safety and security to securing event venues um, to the social legacy impact piece. I oversee all of our CSR, um, you know, and then work closely with our entire team when it comes to large format signage and branding and hotel packages and volunteer needs. And so the list goes on and on a bid. I mean, when you look at a Super Bowl bid, we're talking thousands of pages, you know, and sometimes our bids are hundreds of pages, but there's a lot um, to make sure we go back and we deliver on. And then I just help serve as as one of those lead liaisons and connecting all of those dots. Um, And at the end of the day, making sure we raise the bar that, that the experience, the event organizers, the athletes, the fans have in our community is the best they've ever had. <laughs> I read I read a quote from you that really made me smile, and you kind of almost you almost just said it a second ago, and I was like, "Don't say it! I want to I want to say it." <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't measure our success solely on winning events; we measure our success on winning them back. That's a north star right there. I mean, that is like the guiding light of an organization. Why is that attitude so important? And even one layer deeper. What's that feeling like when you get that that initial acceptance of a bid, but then also that they you do win them back? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it is it is our ultimate goal is that we're not a one hit wonder that that we don't win this business and then fall off the radar. We want to become you know, a consistent and constant stop on these major event schedules. And as mentioned previously, you know, they're in constant bid cycles and sometimes they're bidding five years out, 10 years out for multiple years. So there's a lot of strategy um, that goes in negotiating that goes into how we position, when we position ourselves and what we're going after. But at the end of the day, it's about winning it. And then it's about making sure it's the best that's ever happened. And if that happens, then we feel confident that we will be positioned in that next bid cycle to win it back. And we have tons of examples of that. So every time we win it back, um, we know that we're doing our job and we're raising the bar for our community. We're giving um, our community another opportunity um, for huge amounts of exposure. Um, and ultimately that we are going to create an experience, um, you know, that that's bar none for those that will be in our destination uh, for that amount of time enjoying that event. I just love that attitude. It's not just about winning the event. It's it's the entire process after that to make sure we deliver on the promise and, and that will win them back. Those activities, that action, the way we do our job, it's such a, a, a key component of leadership to set a big goal like that and to make it so clear throughout your organization. So let's, let's talk about leadership a little bit. You have... Uh, you mentioned it, eight full-time employees. Is that right? Or is it seven? It's seven. <laughs> seven full-time employees, part of the Tampa Bay Sports Commission. And yet you're taking on so much, such a huge calendar. And you just elaborated on the, all the nuances and layers of things you need to be considering for an event. 
I mean, that's less than a college volleyball roster. <laughs> like, seriously, that's that's crazy. I um, never thought about it like that before. So that 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 hits hard. That's I went back and double reality. checked. I looked at the roster last <laughs> night to make sure. I'm like, I think there's more on a roster. And I'm like, yep, okay, good. My, my math worked. Um, so does does your leadership style change from being a coach and having to motivate in a certain way to then now you've got this really small team with huge goals and you know, you're trying to not only motivate, but console and build and grow. Like, how does that leadership come through for you? I don't think it's necessarily this dramatic change, but it is more of a shift because it's spread out more. Our team, as, as I've said, lean and mean, strong and mighty, um, is a bunch of rock stars. And we're not specialists per se. So when I think of a volleyball team, right, you've got your middle blocker, you've got your defensive specialist, you've got your setter. Everyone's specializing in a skill. Um, the seven of us have incredible hybrid skill sets. And, you know, we're empowered um, to lead in so many different ways in so many different lanes um, and then step up and step in for each other when needed. And so that dynamic of all of us doing the heavy lifting all the time is kind of like when I when I think of volleyball teams, I think of our team. Um, it is it is almost like the word team is at a whole new level. Um, and, and in terms of what we're doing in our community for our community, um, with, with the amount of people that we're doing it. Now I will say we're an engine. That's, that's how I like to define us. We're kind of the engine behind, um, the execution and we wouldn't be as successful as we are without the community and the support that we have. We have a board of over 65 community leaders and influencers, we rely on our franchises, our host institutions, our hotel partners, our attraction partners, you know, our venue partners. Like if they weren't bought in and supporting what we do and our mission at a really high level, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So maintaining those relationships um, and constantly collaborating and working together uh, to make sure our city shines um, is, a, is also a big piece of what we do. So we're that little engine behind it, um, but but we are we are not always the MVPs. It's this community and our partners that are. I think this bidding process, this thought, thinking ahead, you know, five and ten years sometimes, but actually the process of competing against other regions of the country that are marquee as well and that have other great benefits to their areas. I think it's fascinating. You won the bid for the for the Super Bowl. You actually ended up having a side hustle as the COO for a while there of the host <laughs> committee. Uh, but what is, I, I, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, like up to a thousand pages, sometimes a hundred pages. What is that bidding process like for a major event? Take us behind the scenes a little bit. And then even further, what's that? I mean, how do you negotiate in this kind of a environment? I mean, we, we think of negotiation as something that exists throughout an entire lives, whether you're negotiating for your salary, you're negotiating for a, a client or, but bidding for a Super Bowl, my goodness, that has to be crazy. Right. And well, and, you know, Super Bowl 55 had all levels of asterisks um, attached to it. Um, you know, we were so fortunate we didn't win in the first bid cycle, um, but by default, because LA was stadiums wasn't tra wasn't tracking, 
Um, Tampa was awarded unanimously um, by the owner's vote to step in and fill. So quite honestly, we saw that as one of the largest compliments um, that it didn't go back out to bid, that it yeah. defaulted to a city that they had faith in um, and confidence in that goes back to we've hosted before. We have a great track record. They knew they could rely on our community. And so with a shorter window, quite honestly, we stepped in and then navigated a Super Bowl during COVID um, with our great partners at the NFL. But that bid process in general, to your point, starts years out with the Super Bowl specifically. You know, there's navigating the NFL leadership, but then also the owners. And so um, the event is going to travel. It's going to go to other cities and other stadiums. And so you just have to be patient. Um, You have to kind of uh, strategically figure out timing. Um, And also there's going to be the the bid specs that you have to meet. There's non-negotiables. There's things cities have to have in order to host a Super Bowl. Um, And so it's making sure that we can deliver on all of those, right? That we have all of our partners bought in and signed off on that. But then there's the enhancements. And, you know, this is where the, the competitive Um, piece comes into play with other host cities is what can our community do? What can our destination do differently? And how we layer those enhancements into that that bid proposal um, to sweeten the pot or sweeten the opportunity or, you know, challenge them to think outside the box when it comes to some traditional event they host. So that's that's the fun part is, you know, making sure that we can deliver on the non-negotiables, but then figuring out a way to position Tampa um, to kind of outshine or position themselves in a more competitive light with the other cities that we know we're going up against. Uh, so that goes for every bid process. Um, and it's it's an unbelievably um, time-consuming piece um, of of the job, but again, the most rewarding. That's why we do what we do. So yeah. we uh, we again we to hope uh, to host another Super Bowl. Um, but we have our fourth women's Final Four coming up. We have our second volleyball championship coming up. We just hosted our third Frozen Four. Um, so there's there's lots on the horizon. March Madness in twenty six. Uh, so we're, our team will remain busy. <laughs> I love how you start smiling as you start talking about them. Like it just, there's a lot of pride that comes through in, in these accomplishments. I think that's fascinating too, of like from a Super Bowl perspective, that there must be some table stakes as far as you have to have enough hotels, you have to have enough, right. f- you know, facilities and operational things. And some of that stuff is out of your control. I mean, you can't necessarily control how many hotels are built in the area, but I mean, and then it's the extra, that extra, those things you can do to make it even more enticing to a bid committee. I think that's, it's, it's gotta be a fascinating process. It, it absolutely is. And then there's the creativity too, right? Like yeah. maybe you can't meet certain specs, but if you can creatively pitch you know, solutions um, to that. And I'll give you a perfect example is the Frozen Four. So with all NCAA championships, you have to designate a host institution. Well, we don't have men's college hockey in Florida, um, Division One. So we partnered with the University of Wisconsin and they have been our host institution the last two times we hosted um, the Frozen Four and people just scratch their heads, but their team is on every call. They fly down, they provide, you know, operational staff, Um, and have been like those men's college hockey experts for us on our local organizing committee. So we weren't the city that was going to say, we're not betting on this because we don't have this. We went out and figured out a creative solution to position ourselves to bid on it. I love that creative side. I think it's uh, that's such an important thing is to be able to think differently and and to, to not see something as an obstacle, but seeing it as opportunity. So that's a, such a smart attitude. Over your career, you developed some sub- substantial legacy and social impact initiatives as well. 
Can you tell everyone a little bit about the Beyond the Baselines program? Because I was really fascinated by this. I thought it was really cool. Yes. And thank you for asking. This is a, a bit of a, a, a passion piece. So it, Yeah, it should be. Yes. So back in 08, when I was not with the Tampa Bay Sports Commission, we hosted our first women's final four. Um, we did host a luncheon. It was called Beyond the Baseline. And it um, you know, was 12 influential women in our community um, that joined the NCAA staff for a luncheon. Um, and it was really about women's empowerment and, and bringing our community women influencers to the table. Fast forward uh, to the next time that we got to host, uh, which is 2012 and 2015 and 2019, we built on that brand. Um, and that was, you know, something Rob had kind of turned over um, the brand to me and then the vision um, to, to grow it. And and that's what we did. So we went out. Um, I can't I can't even recall the amount of coffee dates I had um, <laughs> connecting with really every woman in this community that was doing huge, great things and building this network of support, because the goal was to rally the women of our community around the premier women's collegiate championship, which is the women's final four. So yeah. we wanted to leave no stone unturned in doing that. We hosted a series of events, four of them leading up to the championship, all unique in nature. Some in size, scope and scale were all different, but the whole hope and goal was to really spread awareness create enthusiasm, and of course, um, a network of support. Um, coming out of that Women's Final Four, we just continued to build on it. Um, we renamed it the Beyond Series so that we could tether a Beyond event to every major event that came to the community. So we've renamed it Beyond the Goal Line, Beyond um, yeah. the Blue Line, um, and then probably um, the most rewarding um, outcome of the Beyond the Baseline series was that the NCAA Women's Final Four took it with them. They trademarked it. It now lives within their Tourneytown footprint in every host city. So I get chills when I walk into wow. Tourneytown and I see this huge, um, you know, layout that's beyond the baseline. And they run three days of programming that's all women-centric, um, women's empowerment focused with a variety of topics um, and that is a legacy that now doesn't yeah. only live on in our community, but lives on within their championship and every city has to deliver on it. So incredibly rewarding, um, kudos again to the way our community rallied and supported this because it created a movement and a movement that became contagious that then our partners, um, at the NCAA wanted to take with them. I mean, that's brilliant. That's one of those accomplishments you can just be incredibly, incredibly proud of. And to see it like, to see it grow rather than just like, I want to own this and keep this here as a Tampa thing to allow for it to grow and breathe and affect and influence more people is, is, is so amazing and something you should truly be proud of. And I'm sure you are really like the ultimate success model. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you see someone want to take it with you and take it with them and yeah. not reinvent the wheel. And we created the playbook and, you know, now others get to to use it and grow the whole goal and mission, right. Is, is women supporting women. So, I mean, the fact we had a lot to do with that is, is it, it, it makes us very proud. So clearly em empowering women in the sports industry is highly important to you, which is awesome. Related to that in 2016, the Tampa times named you one of the most influential women in Tampa Bay sports. Now, fast forward, it's 2023. Uh, have we reached a point where we stop doing this gender-connected success story where it's most influential woman in sports? It's like, you're just the most influential 
in Tampa sports, right? I mean, I, that's the way I look at it. So we're always doing this gender qualification. Why? Right. You're an influential person in the sports industry, period. Right? I Yes, I love that you say that. Um, I think, you know, the the progress that we're seeing is incredible. Um, we host um, a, a celebration of Title IX event almost annually and, you know, to continue to tell the story um, and the progress that's being made there. But we still have a lot of work to do. Um, and, and, and I hope you know, what you're saying will happen one day. I sat with um, a group of women, a group of women from WISE, and we said, you know, our dream is to one day sit on a sports panel that isn't titled Women in Sports Panel. Yes, (laughs) thank you so much. I am part of so many panels, and it feels like every conference I go to that I'm on a panel, there's a Women in Sports Panel, and it's like, can we start to break away from that and just intermingle this as, like, development for everyone? So anyway, sorry, I'm going to take it away from you. No, no. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly right. Like, and you know what? One day, hopefully I look down those chairs that are sitting with me and they're all women because they were the best representatives. Because they were the best. Exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're getting there, but we still have, we still have pay gap issues. We still have women on board issues. We have women in C-suite issues. Um, tokenism is a real thing. You know, we've got the, the token woman or the token minority and we're checking boxes and, I'm not saying we are, our organization is incredible and my boss is an incredible ally, but in general, there's still work to be done. Um, But, but I am definitely living in a time and generation where I'm feeling and seeing the progress. And I've got two young boys that are growing up seeing women in leadership roles at every turn. Um, And, and I, I'm sure for those, those parents that have young girls, um, it is so inspiring for them to know they can be anything because they see it, right? If you see it, you can be it. And that's that's happening. I interviewed Sheree Cohen, who's the CRO of the World Surf League just last week. And I did not know this until I started doing my research. But since 2016, I think it was 2016 or 2017, they've had pay equality in the World Surf League. They've Amazing. had men and women competitors and in the back office, complete pay equality, they they probably should leverage that more because I didn't realize that. And I was listening to her talk about it and how important it was for them to have, uh, I think she had a she had a great phrase for it. She said, pay equality from the beach to the boardroom or something along that yeah, line. Yeah. It was catchy. I like that, right? Right. And it's just, it's nice to hear these stories that feel like progress, but there's still a long way to go. Oh, you're absolutely right. And we've got a lot of incredible success stories out there that I think are yeah, they're not just trailblazing, but they're becoming contagious. You know, people want to put, they want to financially support and put their money behind women's sports, what our, you know, women's national soccer team has done and what tennis has done. And, you know, they're they're setting the new standard um, that should have always been in existence. But it's making other sports and other owners and other investors um, look at it differently and step up, um, which is which is encouraging. Well, you added even more to your palate and your, to your plate, I should say, in 2020, because you're not tasting it. It's your plate. <laughs> <laughs> confused palate and plate there for a second. Just an extra letter. Um, in 2022, you became the president of the local chapter of Wise Women in Sports and Entertainment, Sports, Sports and Events, sorry. How important is it for you to continue continue to pay this forward? It is the utmost importance. Quite honestly, it's hopefully what will be a huge part of my legacy. Um, when I think about you know, when you have the opportunity uh, to give back and you need to be very intentional in what that is and what it means to you. And for me, 
Um, mentorship has always been um, at the forefront of that. My opportunity to coach, my my opportunity to play and be mentored by coaches, um, and and now in this industry to provide. Um, you know, a platform. And that's what WISE is. It focuses on education, mentorship, um, and networking um, for women in the sports and events industry. Being in a leadership role that can help do that and strategically, um, you know, cultivate uh, relationships and growth opportunities uh, for not only C-suite, um, because we, we call on our sweet, sweet, C-suite a lot um, to help influence and, and be mentors uh, at WISE, but it really is for those entry level. We have student members, you know, all the way up to your mid-management yeah. um, and is creating a pipeline, a pipeline of connectivity, relationships, opportunity, and growth. Um, and it is, it is, um, so rewarding and inspiring and I love every minute of it. We'll finish up with this. I'm so appreciative of your time and, and you've given so, so much great insight and knowledge to everyone. So I really appreciate that. Uh, if, if someone was to come up to you today and they're a college student or there's somebody getting started in their career and they're like, I so admire what you've done. What advice would you give me for getting to get for development or for to continue to grow? What skills should I take on and learn or anything along that nature? How would you advise somebody young who's trying to get their, their themselves built up in our industry? First and foremost, keep building relationships, you know, intentionally, like finding the ways um, to, to grow your network, you know, to, to lean in and have true mentors and sponsors. Um, I mentioned this earlier, they truly will be your biggest asset. You have no idea who's going to step up and say, you know, who's best for this job and put your name in that slot. Um, and that that's, you know, will have a lot to do with how you have impacted and influenced um, along the way and built relationships on all of those core ingredients. Um, we, we hit it earlier, like it's not hard to just be a good person and to be humble and to have integrity and to work your ass off yep. and, you know, to bring something to the table. But I think it's also really important that you understand what your superpower is. And, and be able to sell yourself. When you get the opportunity to get in that room um, and you're going up against you know, a competitive field is what does differentiate you? What makes you the best person for the job? And you gotta be able to sell what that superpower is and, and why they need um, to bring you on their team. I love that. It's fantastic advice to finish this up. Claire, thank you so much for joining. This has been such an amazing conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you, had a great time. Thank you to Claire for coming on the show. I love the renewal mindset that she talked about and that when they bid and negotiate for events, it's winning the business to come back and that this whole deliverable has to be perfect. That is the right mindset we need in every facet of business. You know, when you're in event marketing for an, a, a pro team, making sure that the, the fans and the audience have an amazing time each time and come back. That mindset is so important. Anytime you throw an event, you're setting the stage for the next one. What an important thing to hammer in here. Thank you, Claire, for coming on the show. Thank you to everybody for listening. We'll see you next week.